1: Scott Bass, Monday is going to be the day of days on real water sports. Oh, my. Tell me what's happening, David. Monday is the day of days. You know, when Black Friday used to just be one day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, way back when I do recall
2: that. Gone are those days. The consumer now benefits from Black Friday taking place uh, five days prior and probably five days after as well. And real water sports kicks off on Monday. What will that be? Monday, November 20th, 75%, up to 75% off site-wide. Ah, oh, that sounds fascinating. The 1500 board inventory that we always talk about, they have similar inventory for foil gear, kite gear, and all of that means that there will be overstock throughout the year. And you and I and other listeners get to benefit from that once sales season comes around.
1: Well, look. Who doesn't love friggin' surfboards and foil gear? And I mean, I'm like a kid in a candy store with all that stuff. So an opportunity to take advantage of great deals on all of that gear at Real Water Sports.
2: Yeah. And um, I'd say start perusing the site now and just get your trigger ready. Put Maybe put it in your cart now and then wait until that discount kicks in on Monday and then boom. Boom. Click the purchase button, then benefit from the discount. Take advantage of the discount, in fact, on realwatersports.com. And then I also mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Waterways has that um, group cancellation for Tavarua in December, right before the holidays and after the holidays. So the week of December... 16th through the 23rd, and then the 23rd through the 30th, both weeks are available, which is a rarity. People book that place up for the holidays. Seems like probably the same families who do it as a tradition. Um, and so it's rare for availability to come up during that time, but it is
1: available right now through waterwaystravel.com. Fair enough. Be the uh, smart one that gets on the booking to Cloud Break to Tavarua and uh, enjoy your Christmas in Fiji. Who wouldn't want to do that? That sounds glorious. I wish I could do it. My dang family keeps me anchored here in Southern California, man. You know what? Here's my advice to everybody. Life is short. Go do stuff. Don't let some reason between your ears stop you from going out and doing stuff. Look at Kit Carson, man. Kit Carson did a lot of stuff.
2: Well, there's been a number of Uh, deaths in the surf industry uh, in this past week which we'll get into later in the show but it is a good reminder to definitely not waste time you know yeah but yeah traveling is um throughout the year i mean through there's always waves breaking somewhere so i don't know if you've been checking the swell charts and
1: you know where people should be going now or not but i do i excuse my french i've been completely enamored with scouring the planet lately and let me give you my hit-and-split recommendation, if I could. Let's hear it. Aha point. Aha point. Aha point on the island of Okinawa in Japan. Wednesday and Thursday, November 22nd and 23rd, probably four to eight feet with some larger 10-foot sets as a passing typhoon throws mid-to-short period energy in the head-high-plus zone in that region, the southern islands of Japan. Hey, man, Talk
2: about great cultures. To mix a surf trip with just a phenomenal culture and food,
1: Japan is at the top of the list. And especially, there's so many little islands in Japan that just fascinate me. Like, oh, there's got to be some, because it doesn't take much. I'm not looking for, you know, cloud break. I just want a super fun three to five foot little right-hander that's blue and warm and beautiful. Absolutely. Great call. Well, check it all out
2: on waterwaystravel.com. And um, Brian there will get you dialed in if you want to go to Fiji. And uh, or you can contact me and I'll put you in contact with Brian but waterwaystravel.com
1: As we see some movement at the takeoff zone it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail a clean entry this thing holding open it spits oh, when it spit me I thought it was going to spit me off my board comes out with the spit spits him out comes out after the spit gets spat out of another good looking wave here spit, spit, spit we're just spitballing right? yeah I got
0: Welcome
1: Yeah, God, Yeah, friggin' God, David Lee Scales. Oh, my. It is Wednesday, November 15th. This is Spit, the surfing podcast. Uh, David, good morning to you, dear citizen. Great morning to you. Did you get a surf in before our show, before the rains show up today? I did. I did surf. In fact, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. We had a discussion. But before we go there, let me ask you this. Did you surf? Did you get a surf in? When was the last time you surfed? I'm worried about Uh, you. This weekend. Oh, okay. it's past well this past weekend yeah how did it go for you
2: um it went perfectly fine it was clean conditions i rode a mid-length that's easy to ride and it was just easy peasy but yeah. what are you what are you worried about <laughs>
1: <laughs> like oh, declining skill if we, set if we boiled it right down it'd be catching my fair share of waves which is horribly selfish but um i was Wait. i was out in the water today and so it's kind of it's early season winter here in Southern California. It's been glassy and warm and nice and sort of Santa Ana conditions, blue, clear water. It's been really nice the past, I don't know, month, I would say, maybe more. And um, and what we've had here is it's just an you know an immense amount of people that want to enjoy the ocean, just like you and I do. And oh, so okay. it's been crowded and and there's been a lot of people on bigger boards, because everyone sort of realizes if I'm going to compete with everybody else, I need a bigger board. And this led me to the question um, that you and I've had before. But uh, I I think you argued that surfing is a meritocracy based on your ability. And from what I saw today, surfing is a meritocracy, but it's based on your ability to choose the right equipment, not actually how you perform on the wave and interesting and so i see just a bunch of for lack of a better phrase beginner surfers on big boards that are complete like you know i guess i'll use the word kook Yeah, that are complete kooks that are kind of dominating the lineup and then yeah. you know and i'm on a 511 on a little fish and so the question is maybe it's on me i chose the wrong equipment and therefore um i'm lower down on the the totem pole the the priority pole so to speak the meritocracy um their ability um to pick the right board means that that they get the right way that they get more of the waves and they i don't know it has nothing to do with anyone's ability once they're up and riding
2: I hear what you're saying, but they're on the wrong board. You know what I mean? They're just on a board that catches more waves, but it's not technically the right board for the spot. It's probably the right board for their ability level. It's the only board for their ability level. But I would argue you are on on the right board, but you're at a disadvantage, of course, by being on that board. The other detail is, look where you surf. Your surf is the nucleus for every kook who's learning how to surf who has a soft top.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so it's kind of on me then it's really my fault and and frankly let let me be clear it's been that size range too where it's you could ride both like you could argue like if you pulled up to this spot and there was no one out you'd be like yeah let's go shortboarding we can rip the bag off the tops of some of these waves but if you pull up this morning and you see literally 25 guys on longboards out on the peak it wouldn't be wise to ride a shortboard out there like that's not the right call except that's what I wanted to ride. Like I want to ride my get up and go super fast, little quick board. I don't want to stand up and bog on a bottom turn and it's just slow and boring surfing.
2: Well, my solution, I've confronted what you're talking about and my solution is I just always surf down the beach. And I, I mean, there, there's a vast, where I am in North Orange County, it's vast openness for miles on end right along PCH. And you could just look at it as you drive and pick the right sandbar. But there are some, of course, that are better than others. The piers are better. And the piers attract attract a crowd, not only because the waves are better, but because there's convenient parking. So there's a lot of kooks out there too. But I will surf far lesser waves down the beach simply so I can be by myself and I would rather shortboard at the pier and keep that tool set sharp. But I, I don't because I've made the decision that you're talking about. I go down the beach instead where it's not really shortboardable. And so, like I said, I should take my mid length. I go, look, the conditions are nice. I'm just going to have a pleasant day and ride the mid length and just get in the water and get up and riding and kind of lower my expectations. And then I have a
1: good time basically because of it. Yeah. And i I hear you and I agree with you, but what I'm getting at is if surfing is a meritocracy and therefore the guys that are catching the set waves are the better surfers, are the kooks the better surfers for having better equipment to catch the waves? No. Is catching the wave the final, you know, litmus test of what it takes to be a good surfer? And it seems to be that it is, quite frankly, after what have I experienced for the past 10 years or whatever, it seems like it is. It seems like whoever catches the wave is the best surfer and has nothing to do with what happens on the wave. It's an interesting
2: point. I see the point you're making, but what I'm suggesting is the meritocracy has gone out the window once it's oversaturated with the bottom level of the triangle. It used to be that that because ultimately, if you follow this down the far enough path, every it dumbs down all of surfing. The vast majority is just people who can barely get to their feet, and they're all going on a wave at the same time. I mean, Waikiki is kind of what it gets boiled down to, you know, and beyond Waikiki, now it's going to be the wave pool where maybe there's one good surfer surfing the open face, at KS Waveco, let's say. And then the rest of that whitewash, there's 10 people standing on the whitewash. That's kind of what surfing will become. And it all gets dumbed down. And they, because they didn't abide by the meritocracy when they entered the space, they don't even know how to level up and they don't aspire to improve their skill set and to be on the open face of the wave and surfing critically in the pocket. It just becomes, I mean, we went off on a tangent about filmmakers last week. There will be, it will, won't be very many Martin Scorseses. It'll all be Marvel films. You know what I mean? Everything gets dumbed down to the masses where everybody's listening to bubblegum pop music and watching terrible movies, essentially. That's yeah. what surfing's going to be. There's no more art in it.
1: Yeah, well, it's okay. I, I enjoyed getting wet and all that, but I was just a little bit like, oh man, do it. Because I just don't want to ride my twelve foot glider. Like I can do that. I I, and people know that. Like everyone knows. Like we can all paddle out on our twelve foot gliders. Stand there with our hands just so, you know. Well,
2: the problem is the people you're talking about that are clogging the lineup are going to burn you. One, I mean, even if you do go out and catch the set wave, take off first twenty yards out, they're just going to go on you
1: anyways. That's okay. I, they're welcome to go on me. I don't even really care about that. I mean, but, this is why you've been foiling for the last four months. I know it really got it. It's like crazy. It's it's been, it's been too good to foil as far as like the swell energy and stuff, which is fine. I'm stuck. And you're right. Look, I love going down to my little local beachy where it's a little bit more spread out, but it's, the thing is, is the nature of these West swells is they're a bit walled up, a bit lined up. They're kind of coming directed straight at us. So kind of have to find those structured areas and reefs and, And, you know, like you mentioned, piers and and jetties and stuff. And it just gets a little crowded.
2: Yeah, it really does. I mean, I think this problem,
1: it's relatable all around the world right now. If you were to look at the world, if you were to look at the globe, where do you think has the most potential and the most opportunity for, for empty surf? You know, like as I'm scouring around and as I'm looking uh on you know for potential fun places to go visit eventually i find myself you know looking at kind of random countries up in the indian ocean you know like you know like i think sri lanka is probably obviously it's a well-known surf spot sri lanka's probably got a bunch of opportunity like i bet it's not that crowded in sri lanka you know what i mean like i bet crowded is when it's pumping there might be 10 people and if it's pumping 10 people's nothing it just spreads 10 people out and i found myself like looking at like the west coast of india you know and bangladesh and and then even on the other side of the indian ocean over there there's you know up into those straits up there um there's some arab nations that are interesting from a surf standpoint you know as far as there's tons of potential there's so many miles and miles of beaches where a typhoon could spin up and it could just be epic. And there's just no one around. And it's how adept are you at
2: navigation and traveling? Because the, you know, do you have a sailboat Can you get to those places? (laughs) And if you don't, is there somebody who understands uh, surfable waves? Is there a captain who understands surfable waves? And then if you're going to do it all on land, you still need, certain access and amenities and uh accommodation as well you know like is there somewhere to stay is it safe so you can absolutely find waves i mean africa as a continent there's tremendous potential and the north atlantic you know there's tremendous potential up there it's and tons of energy in that ocean it's just how rugged do you want to get
1: well i'm soft it needs to be warm (laughs) i just i don't know i just i'm fascinated i i start to get into that sort of google earth space where you know you're drilling down on spots You're like oh my god are you kidding me like that could be really good you know. well this
2: reminds me of a couple of things that have come my way in the last few weeks um, films i mentioned i'm one of the jurors on the florida surf film festival and we get these amazing films that we get to watch that don't have a broad release. And to be perfectly honest, I don't even do them justice here on our show over the years because I watch them, they're great. And I just presume that they'll end up on the internet in six months from now and I'll talk about them then. But if I look back, a lot of them don't end up on the internet or you know, they're on like one that I'll tell you about today is available on um, Outside Magazine's kind of free streaming service. Or, so like you, you can go on YouTube and if you find your way to it, then you have to sign up for the outside magazine kind of add on, and then you can watch the film there. But I just don't think it finds enough eyeballs. And, um, w- but one of the other films that relates directly to what you're talking about was called, um, it's by Alan Van Geisen from the surf photographer from uh, South Africa. And the film was uh, him going up into Mozambique. It's called Chasing the Unicorn. Remember that wave that Rip Curl partnered with um, uh, Mark Matt, not Mark Matthews, the uh, South African big wave charger Grant Twiggy Baker, to document that right hand point break. The Snake is what they were calling it, and they built the marketing campaign around it.
1: Is that the one that Mick Fanning got to surf?
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that wave, uh, Alan Van Geisen did a film about going to sea, and actually, maybe it isn't that wave. Anyways, it's in Mozambique, and it's a long right-hand point, like flawless, amazing sand bottom right-hand point. And um, it's a documentary about him going there, taking cruise there the local community that's kind of gotten into surfing there as a result of them coming to surf this wave, because it was a perfect wave that these villagers had access to all along, but they were fishing, you know, and stuff like that. So they actually probably didn't, they wanted to avoid the wave as much as possible, but it's about the development of um, surf tourism in this really remote area and just how flawless the wave is. So I think there's tons of setups like that up and down Africa. It's just accessibility is very, very challenging.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the wave right now. I'm looking at the trailer for the movie and um, wow, it's cool. Yeah, it looks like there's some locals that are picking up surfing and um...
2: That's kind of what the film's about, by the way, is like the new discovery of a wave and how surf tourism integrates into the community and maybe benefits the community, maybe challenges the community. Um, and I think they've done a good job of investing into the community and that's part of, partially why they made the film. Um, but I mean world-class wave no doubt about it yeah
1: yeah it looks it looks incredible but uh wow and it looks like an experts only type of surfing situation too yeah I mean even the pros are you know having a hard
2: time navigating their way into the drop and even down the line and all that sort of stuff but yeah the other film that I got to watch was uh the new Torn Martin film where he's sailing a boat from uh thailand indonesia and that's incredible too that's coming out i think
1: no uh december 3rd wide release well um all right well those look like fun things to watch fun movies to watch the one that i was talking about being linked on uh outside mag is called
2: savage waters and this one De- definitely won't get enough eyeballs it's incredible it's set off the coast of um ireland the west coast of ireland yeah so the film opens with a couple of surfers who are visiting and you know one guy is going to the other guy's house and he spots a book like dirt there's all these books these old leather bound books on the shelf and he finds one and it's written by a 19th century treasure hunter it's basically a journal from this treasure hunter from the 19th century um He had been told about a buried treasure on an island in the middle of nowhere off the west coast of Ireland. But in the book, he dedicates a portion of it to this wave that was breaking off of this island. And it was massive, but consistent. And the sailor back in the 19th century, you know, doesn't know anything about surfing. But as he's describing it, these surfers are going, man, this sounds like it's actually could be a new world class big wave spot. So they start the film is about them plotting this trip out they get andrew cotton to come with them obviously a big wave charger from the uk and um the map the maps even the current maps clearly state these are uncharted waters uh not crystal blue uncharted waters scary north atlantic murky raging waters basically um and they go there and they find an incredible wave and andrew gets to surf it
1: so that's called savage waters. It's Interesting, right? Because from a sailing and boating perspective, when you're in a situation like that, like w- when you come across a place that's just mean and savage and something that you don't want to negotiate, you just ignore it. You just, you know, you, every mariner in the world, goes, don't go there, go here. It's much safer. And everyone just takes their eyeballs off of that and goes to the safe passage. And so that spot gets neglected from a surf standpoint and of course from a mariner standpoint forever it's just like no need why why don't even waste your energy there don't even look there it's dangerous you don't even want to go there don't sail there it's stupid danger don't go go the easier softer way and so for century and century and century and century mariners go the easier softer way and that's why some of these areas are still uncharted because it's like look we did enough chartering we know it's dangerous we don't need to go like explore Every little nook and cranny as to why it's dangerous. Don't go there.
2: Yeah. But under the lens of surfing, it's now an untapped resource. Exactly. And it's crazy. Yeah. When you watch that film and see how treacherous it is with modern sailors, with modern techniques, modern boats, modern technology to navigate and all that. It's insane to think of somebody doing it in the 1800s.
1: (laughs) no doubt man just being a mariner in general dude.
2: hearing about a buried treasure and you're like all right i'm going like i'm going for months to go find this thing or not maybe i'll come back empty-handed it's crazy to think about
1: that's cool so did they read out loud some of the passages from this book they did actually. And
2: the book is ancient as well. Like the, yeah. they have an old, probably there's probably only one printing of the book and they have the original. Um, But I don't know if he ever found the buried treasure. I was kind of curious to know if what he found on that island, but um, I don't think they got to that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. That sounds cool. So Savage Waters, that's outside magazine.
2: Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll post it on with today's show, but um you can find it on YouTube. Savage Waters. And then it'll kind of lead you to the outside. It'll say like, do you want to sign up for the free outside magazine subscription or something like that? And then you can watch it there. The trailer's there for free, obviously.
1: So there's chasing the unicorn. There's savage waters. Um, I actually found chasing the unicorn on YouTube. It's 33 minutes long. It looks really oh, okay. perfect. And. Um, savage waters. I'm going to search yeah. for that on YouTube too. And take a peek. Cause I got to admit, I'll tell you this. Um, I watched a movie today or yesterday. It's about Julian Wilson, and it was really uninspiring. Like, I'm not like, let me just. I'm not here to poo-poo on Julian Wilson. It has nothing to do really with Julian Wilson. It was just the template of of the the surf movie. It was just. It felt like you know you go on Netflix and you're like, oh, there's a documentary on Taylor Swift or whatever. Well, it was put out by Taylor Swift's people. So it's just really a PR piece is all it is. Yeah. And that's kind of what this Julian Wilson thing. Like I wasn't, I was just kind of like, uh, I don't, there's nothing interesting. Okay. The guy's good. You know, He's having a great time and he's got a business and some kids. Everybody does. Like, yeah. where's the conflict? You know? Yeah. I saw that video posted
2: and I specifically didn't click on it. For the exact reason that you said, it's like there's nothing. I love Julian Wilson surfing. I loved watching him when he was on tour and nice his movies else. that he would make. Super
1: good guy. Yeah,
2: but I don't. I've I've learned enough of him to know that beyond that, there's probably not a ton else that I'm interested in. And so, to spend the 20 minutes to watch that documentary, don't need it. You, you know? don't.
1: It's it's really just vanilla PR pieces at this point. That's what a lot. A lot of what we're getting you know, as far as content is just like, oh, man, give me something really that I can chew on, you know, that's just fascinating and has conflict and has some resolution or maybe it doesn't. Or maybe there's an anti-hero, the guy that you love, but he does stuff that you can't believe he does it. Yeah. But it's it's, you know. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I
2: loved and I continue to love because it's an ongoing series. Is the Red Bulls No Contest series that Ashton Goggins hosts? Did you see the recent episode this week from uh I in San looked, Francisco?
1: I looked at it, but I didn't click on it, but I read about it.
2: So, I I think there this might be the third season that they're doing it, and they or, or not actually they used to do it on tour, and they called it No Contest because it was the show behind the scenes of the contest. It was like the lay days and the free surf sessions and all that sort of stuff, which I thought were good and it had value. And it basically provided a lot of context for these WSL events that we only get to see, you know, the front facing stuff on, but they transitioned with COVID. Uh, they transitioned this series to just be a traveling surf show, kind of like uh, I think they modeled it after Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations. So it'd be about the culture of a local, of a surf community around the world. And they've done Israel, they've done South Africa. They've gone really cool exotic places. Season or episode one of this season is San Francisco. And I loved it. And it's interesting to me that somebody says it in, um, I think it was Maddie Lopez, local, San Francisco surfer and charger surfs Mavericks and stuff. He was saying that San Francisco, what's unique about it is that there's no surf industry at all. There's no contests. There's very few shapers. There's no brands that are based out of San Francisco. You know, there's retailers, but as opposed to Southern California or cities through Europe or whatever, or Australia, it's like once surfing becomes popular, a hub then develops of industry. And that all kind of just starts to influence it. And San Francisco is so different because it doesn't have any of that. So in order to be a surfer, it's just it's a commitment to a lifestyle and it's more rugged. And there aren't always waves. And even when there are waves, it's always cold, you know, you're combating all these elements. So it creates this really unique community. Um and it made me remember that in the film or in the book Barbarian Days. San Francisco segment was one of my favorite segments of that book, too. You know, he went to all these exotic locations, and yet it was San Francisco that seemed to have the most personality to me and the most
1: charm and charisma and kind of interest. So yeah, I haven't seen that bit, but um looks like no contest. The San Francisco version sounds interesting. It is. And Ian Walsh.
2: So it's, again, it's a Red Bull production. So they get Red Bull's team riders to go on these trips, but um, it was Ian Walsh, Izzy Gomez, up and coming young female big wave surfer and Jamie O'Brien was there too. And I think Ian Walsh summed it up up beautifully by saying that um, the reason why the surfers there are so incredible is because they have other passions in life And it's kind of, again, limited by the waves. The waves aren't always accessible. Like if you live in San Diego, you could just be a beach bum. You could just be a surfer surfer full stop and only surf and not develop any other interests in life. San Francisco, it's like, you got to make a living. It's wildly, nowadays anyways, it's wildly expensive to live. So you have all of these creative types and it's always had, even before it became expensive, it always had the creative types. And so it's these people who are, working real jobs maybe artists a lot of them and then surfing is just part of their personality you know what i mean and i think that's what makes a lot of the community so so interesting um obviously that money that i'm talking about it's related to the adjacency of silicon valley so i mean the headquarters for every tech company around is based in that area, from Google, Uber, Adobe, GoPro, Meta, Microsoft, Airbnb, Twitter has a headquarters there. Um, they bring in a ton of wealth, which has now created this income disparity, which is kind of interesting too, where some of the surfers are of the old school who maybe bought way back when, and they're just barely able to uh, hunker down and survive through you know, now what is seven thousand dollar a month rent for a two-bedroom place um and then all of the cultural kind of mashup there from chinese and korean immigrants and hispanic and everything it's really really fascinating really fascinating culture and the waves are insane the
1: waves are truly uh challenging and good yeah i'm into it i want to check it out san francisco love it you know what they say no don't surf in water that's colder than your age that's what you say
2: and i feel like it will become a trend of saying because it <laughs>
1: does make a lot of sense it does oh my uh, i see that thomas campbell is involved with scott Sowens on a new movie called ye woe why waiting for this YI-WO. yeah it's been a long time coming uh, craig anderson and ryan birch there was a little bit of um, a teaser on Surfer Magazine and just some images, like 15 images uh, from the shoot of Craig and Ryan surfing big blue cloud break. And those guys have got, you know, those are two of the styles that that you and I love. You know, we want to see that kind of, you know, For I was looking at the pictures and I'm like, really, it's Jerry Lopez. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff that I'm drawn to, I'm like, you know what, that looks like Lopez. And then there's a shot of Ryan just like styling in a pit, like like at the top of a wave, not in a pit, like on the corner of a shoulder of a wave. But it's super critical and steep. And and it looks like Lopez, you mm-hmm. know, and anyways, um, history repeats itself. And I there's a and I think that's why I'm drawn to it. You know, there's just some really good classic style. And it, no matter who's doing it, it's it's pretty damn good style is timeless
2: but the boards now allow you to get into critical positions on the wave that
1: people were never jerry was able well i don't know there's actually a photo so craig anderson's riding a single fin it doesn't necessarily look like the most you know sophisticated unique performance oriented surfboard it looks like a board you'd be like yeah i can ride the barrel pretty good on this board you know yeah and, you know, I can do a bottom turn and I can set my rail. And you know how it is with single fence, too. You can sometimes you just stop. like You set the you set the rail and you're at a dead stop. And then the thing heaves and you drive through it and you get deep. And um, anyway, there's I mean, there's literally Craig Anderson's board literally has lightning bolts on the rails. It's a red pigmented surfboard or airbrushed red with yellow lightning bolts and Craig Anderson. I mean, it looks like Lopez, like everything looks like Lopez. Like the, the way the trunks are, you know, they're not like super long. They're kind of like mid, mid-cut trunks. It just looks like Jerry Lopez, which is by the way, again, really good. You know, like it looks really good. I'm pretty stoked on it. And of yeah, course, line, yeah. line surfing, you know, the still images that I saw, pretty real. Well,
2: well, yeah, maybe that board that he's riding, allows him to do that but he does ride obviously really high performance boards as well and he maintains that style which is unique because to get into the critical positions that they're getting into so many or a lot of surfing's evolution went away from style and people just get they would contort themselves into compromising positions to get into that pocket or, or into the air or whatever and stuff got wonky so it's rad that those two surfers specifically we're able, have been able to meld the two uh, eras of surfing, you know? And I think that's really who Thomas works with. Like Thomas is all about aesthetic.
1: aesthetic. Yeah. yeah,
2: And so he he's very selective in who goes on those trips. And look, he's overdue for a film. We haven't seen a film from Thomas Campbell for a very long time. And I know, like I said, this thing's been in production for a long time because I feel like I reached out to him Four years ago, probably. Yeah, I
1: want to like 2016 or something.
2: Yeah. So that would have been seven years ago. Like, hey, I mean, man, I heard you're working on this new film and like I'd love to interview you about it. I never heard anything back, but I've been waiting for it to come out all this time. So I don't know if he's been consistently filming over all those years or if this is all footage of your, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't know either, but they threw it up on Surfer Magazine, which suggests to me that somebody in the film camp is like, hey. This thing's still happening let's seed it into the people's memory here and let them know it's about to happen or you know what i mean yeah i'm excited i'm down yeah, um you're good the grace. those guys surf with grace that's what i'm starting to realize like if you can surf with grace it doesn't matter what board you're on
2: yeah i gotta be honest i don't know where this relates to our conversation i've thought about it a bit over the last few weeks but um I'm switching my mentality to a one board quiver again. Really? Yeah. I find that the overthinking, and I was even thinking about our upcoming El Salvador trip in April. And I'm like, I'm going to bring like three boards, I think. Right. And then I thought about one of the boards and I'm like, I want to ride. That's the one I want to ride. Like, I'm going to bring a higher performance version, but do I really want to ride that? And even when I do ride the higher performance one, I'm going to not quite live up to my potential on it. I'm going to get frustrated. That's a wasted session.
1: Simon Jones? Yeah. I knew it. Look at me. I nailed yeah. it. Because it's
2: it's easy to ride, I can push limits on it. Like I can push that thing and it it'll meet me wherever I'm at. Like if I want to do like a real like serious hack It allows me to do it, you know? Um, And I never don't have fun on it. Like I never have a session on there where I like fully bog on that thing and fully blow it because it's so forgiving, I guess, and
1: dependable. There you go. I mean, just imagine back in the day, like Kevin Naughton, Craig Peterson, those guys, when you went to mainland Mexico in 1974, you brought one surfboard. (laughs) That was it. And you hoped it didn't break. And you brought one fin.
2: You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and they didn't break. They rarely broke because they were friggin' made strong and they were heavy. And those days, but I, I like what you're saying. I get it. You know, I mean, you know me. I'm the king of don't bring any boards. <laughs> Who wants? Because I'm slothful. Who wants to lug a board through an airport? That's a little bit different. <laughs> the board there. You know what I mean? Somebody yeah. called me the other day and goes, "Hey, you gave me a board about four or five years ago." I'd been digging through my garage and it's got some scribbling on it. It's, it's from Wayne rich to you. It was obviously a custom board. It has all this stuff that Wayne wrote to you. That's personal. I want you to have it back. And I was like, Oh yeah. I'd forgotten about the board, you know? And it was one of those things where I'm like, here, take this board, ride it, you know, please bring it back or whatever. Right. <laughs> but I never got it back, but um, I'm excited about getting it back. And I think that could be the board that I bring to El Salvador. Yeah. You know what I mean, just, one board, man. One exactly. board People always go, how many boards should I bring into? I'm like, you're only going to ride one, but if you break it, bring two. So bring two of the same exact board.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Overthinking it never yields the best result, to be honest. No. So I have the one Simon Jones 610, whatever, but I actually ordered a um, smaller, the one that Mason Ho won the picked for the electric acid surfboard test like two years ago 2001 it's called a go-go so it's like a shorter kind of twin fin fish looking thing um so that's what i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring that instead but it still is very easy ride and versatile and all that sort of stuff i just don't want to bring a bigger bo- the
1: 610 you know yeah it's interesting the one board quiver thing is interesting because everything is cyclical i mean everything is cyclical and so what happens is there's a culture of okay one board quiver and the masses all decide to just invest in one board and you ride it for a while and eventually you're like this board's killer but Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think if it was a little shorter and a little wider or whatever you know whatever the things you think it needs and you get that next board that you, you order a custom board and it actually is better because yeah. it was better, a little wider and a little shorter or whatever, you know what I mean? And then you're, you're off and running and you're done well, land.
2: That works, but you get to a point where there's a law of diminishing returns. Yes. And okay. you and I having 20 boards is well beyond that point of diminishing yeah. returns. You know,
1: I do think though that three boards is, is, is understandable It's pragmatic it's doable yeah you you need to have a long board or a longer board for when it's two foot yeah right yeah you need to have a high performance board for when you go to cloud break right yeah let's say restaurants cloud break now you need a kind of a semi-gun you need a six or whatever and It'd be good to have a fish for when it's two foot, but you don't want to ride a log. You want to rip around and get all this speed out of a little teeny thing that's super fun. This Come is on. the dividing. This, this is, is the this exact
2: is this is the exact moment of diminishing returns right there is when you mentioned fish. No. I that that teeters on the line. I can be convinced one way or the other. But if you go one
1: board past that, let me ask much. you this longboard or fish. You get you get to choose. <sighs> Cause you could ride your fish I, when it's four foot. <laughs> I would go fish. No longboard for you.
2: Look, if you no give me going five, to
1: surfing, bay, surfing second, surfing second point or first point when it's one to two feet, you'd be struggling on a fish. Cause everyone else is going to be on their longboard by the way.
2: But the fish has more applicability for me in my life than the longboard does. It, like it fits more of my, my yeah, actual surf year, sessions. But so if I had to pick one, Okay, you've fish got your longboard would your
1: fish. You've got your Simon Jones, right? And then you've got a step up, right? That covers I mean, the right? gaps, right? Now you're good. So three boards, like I said, three. Boards.
2: Yeah, three is the number.
1: Because I've asked you this before. I've asked you like, you can only ride one board for the rest of your life, and I've told you. I think a high performance longboard would be the board that would cover most. You could ride a high-performance longboard. I mean, Bonga Perkins rides it at 15-foot Sunset Beach. And then you can ride it at 3-foot Makaha and everything in between. The only thing that's a little sketchy on that is a, beach, a powerful beach break, like a French beach break on a high-performance longboard. It's definitely going to break.
2: Yeah. Well, this relates directly to uh, Stab Magazine's Electric Acid Surfboard Test, which premieres tomorrow night, the first episode of the new season featuring Sean Manners as the test pilot. Uh, he's surfing on the South Island of New Zealand, so they've got a new surfer, new location, new premise for the boards, all of it, and it looks good. His surfing looks incredible.
1: Yeah, I took a peek at the um, the little teaser for it, and... um It looks like the shaper reveal is interesting, right? Um, It is.
2: I feel like everything that you've asked for after they do one of these, they've implemented here. Like you're like, they need a little bit more obscure shapers. They don't need the same exact shapers all the time. They need whatever. And I feel like this bag of shapers and the boards that they built is a fresh take.
1: Yeah. So tell me, what do you know about Kobe Hughes? He's a kid from right around here, red hot surfer. He's a seaside kid. And I didn't even know he made his own boards, but apparently he's been chosen as one of the guys. I just thought maybe he rode whatever, you know, stuff from Derek Disney or whoever. I don't know. So I think he's actually Ryan Birch's nephew. Oh, really? That's yeah.
2: Cool. or Or cousin. Right. I think that's right. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what the connection is, but I've had m- multiple people tell me that. And yes, he has been building his own boards, but you know, I don't think for long. So I, but kind of to your point that you've made in the past is they need to mix it up. And so go ahead, throw in somebody who has not a tremendous amount of experience, but does have the pedigree. And the access to insights and knowledge through Ryan and Derek and all those guys. And so why not include him in this and give him a shot at it? Yeah, so no, Kobe, I, I don't know a lot about him, but I'm curious to, and I'm glad to see him get this chance.
1: I know he's a friend of my son's they're, and But uh, that's, I don't know too much about Kobe. I know nope. he's well liked and well beloved in the seaside lot. He's one of the lot trolls.
2: Yeah. Well, a lot of these other people that they included are former podcast guests of ours. Um, Justin Tierney's of Dark Arts is included in this, which is great because to be honest, Justin, almost all discussion about Justin is around his Dark Arts construction that he implements for other shapers' surfboards, but he actually shapes boards himself too. And he has his whole line of JT designs. Oh, yeah. So, So it's good to have him included in this. Um Corey Graham, the Willy Wonka of Torque, uh,
1: is included in this. Eden Saul what from wait, wait De- Willy Wonka of Torquay, what what Torquy, what what's that mean? That was um somebody
2: wrote, I'm thinking Surfing World magazine, somebody at some point wrote an article about him, and that was the headline. It said he's the Willy Wonka, because he's uh he's a eccentric and out of the box thinker.
1: That's cool. He's, do you know have you seen his I'm stuff there, or do you know him at all i've seen his stuff all over the place I, i'm a big fan of he's he's another guy that's got a really you know unique aesthetic and some really cool boards and um yeah i see his stuff all over i'm a big fan we're i'm, I'm his buddy we're you know i'm a instagram friend lurker gotcha
2: well he was out here this last year um working out of the Waterman's Guild. And building a couple of boards for US clients. And so I actually went and interviewed him and got to spend time with them. And coolest dude ever. And it's a great episode, if I do say so myself. And uh I mean, I, I just everything I love about board building and surf surf personalities he embodies. So I'm excited to see him included in this. Eden Saul of Dead Kooks is in it. Britt yeah. Merrick friend of ours friend of the show Britt merrick is included in this let's
1: go back to eden he's he's a friend of the sh- of the boardroom show for sure and he's done the show numerous times and i know he was making boards out of moonlight glassing i think for a couple three years ago maybe and um and i think doesn't that victoria gal write his boards the model chick i don't know who that is victoria vergara or i don't know Sophia. i don't know maybe sophia i i, I can't remember
2: anyway. yeah he, i mean he has a number yeah. of kind of high profile writers for sure
1: yeah i'm gonna try to find him on instagram right now but and then so yeah Britt merrick that's actually the one where i was like hmm, that's totally interesting right like brit gets a lot of play channel islands gets a lot of play so um i wonder what brit made i wonder did, by the way do you can you see which boards are which do they have their it's all anonymous, right? We just know who the shapers are, but we don't know which is which, right? Correct. I wonder what yeah. Britt Merrick made. That's fascinating. Yeah. That, that's what I really like. like So Britt, like Paisel, like Matt bio all of those guys would be fun guys to go, look, make me something totally abstract. Like I don't want, you know what I mean? Like to me, that's kind of kind of cool, right? Like I know you make a great performance, TriFit. Make me something not crazy, but make me something that's, you know, for a 58-year-old man. Totally. Yeah.
2: Um, so that's why it's great to see Britt in this version of a surfboard test as opposed to the stab in the dark high-performance thing, which he's won, you know, more than anybody. Um, Ryan Lovelace is involved in this, which he's been in the past, but it's been a while. Hayden Cox, Josh Keo, Mark Richards, pretty rad. rad. Um Simon Jones and Ian Byrne as well. Simon Jones and Ian Byrne have both been podcast guests of mine. Uh so I think it's a phenomenal lineup.
1: Well, it sounds really cool. I I like all those names that you mentioned, of course, and um Simon Jones. It's gonna be fascinating. The one that the one trippy board that we know is the House of Burn the crazy fangtail Michael Peterson thing that one just sticks out um and it's just you know that one's so out there that it's like man i don't know if that one's it's it's almost like a piece of art more than it is a functional design um it's just got if you haven't seen it it's it's a three wing deep channel six channel with a channel on the deck the fang it's got the, those wings are like fangs and they, they look dangerous and it's it it looks sexy as hell like it looks like walking down the beach with that board under your arm you're like yeah i'm the, i'm the man <laughs> but but i need like super glassy four foot kira for that part to maybe work you know what yeah. I mean? yeah i don't know i could be wrong maybe they end up loving that board it'll be fun as hell to watch that board go like that's the one where you're like okay i hope they put a really big spotlight on him riding this board
2: how much do you know about sean manners or how much have you seen of
1: his surfing i don't know anything about sean manners i know nothing of his surfing it's interesting um
2: because he is our, our, the lesser-known surfer that we've ever seen in one of these series. But he's huge in Australia, of course, and a phenomenal surfer. Like I know that he has a core following there, but the way that surf media is delivered nowadays, I just haven't had a ton of exposure to him. And I do follow him on Instagram, so I see some of that, but it's not like he's included in a film every year that I then see or putting out edits every six months that I then see... So my exposure is pretty sparse, but his surfing is radical and it's raw. And he almost reminds me like cut from the cloth of Dane Reynolds of 15 years ago, where it's just aiming for a big section to building as much speed as possible and going big with style and grace,
1: you know, big waves, big sections, that sort of stuff. I hear that a lot about you, actually, all those things, you know. Those those things you said are, would never be said about you and I. <laughs> that is the exact
2: opposite of my restoration life, <laughs> restoration hardware life. Exactly. Well, look, Sean,
1: that um, looks fascinating, and um, I'm psyched. So tonight it drops, right? The stab Thursday acid test, right? East electric acid surfboard test tomorrow Thursday. Thursday tomorrow, that'll be fascinating.
2: Scott, just a quick reminder for listeners, Driftline.co is where you get the Drifty, but also they've packaged up some bundles with some of their other products like the UPF top, ultraviolet protected top uh, as basically gift bundles. So if you want to give a gift for the holiday, go to their website, click on the gift bundles link, and that'll take you to that page where they're bundled and already discounted as being part of the bundle.
1: Bundled and discounted. Drifties by Driftline.co. It is that time of year. You could quickly get a lot of your shopping done by going to Driftline.co. Click on bundles and boom, away you go. You probably bang out five presents right there. The gift that he
2: actually wants and will actually use. We all get things in the holidays where we're like, oh, this is a nice thought, but it's going in a pile of things I don't use. You know what? Somebody got me
1: once this clicker right here. Look at this thing what do you do with it what do you do with it is it somebody a stress it i don't know what it is but you don't get is- you won't get one of these at driftline.co you'll get a killer gift bundle of drifties with the uh sun protection top
2: did you just accidentally open your garage door right now I hope not. <laughs> is it just like a stress reliever thing
1: actually somebody sent it to me for editing audio they're like when you're going along and you screw up go and you'll know you'll see the mark on your audio file for, from that Oh. you can go that's where you can find your spot and go edit it there
2: interesting yeah very because few I people never,
1: will use that i've never used it for that
2: <laughs> that's funny all right.
1: right well look driftline.co go get your gift bundle for god's sakes it's uh easy and boom and You're it done, saves not only Not only
2: do you save on the bundle, but then we have the promo code SPIT and that'll save you an additional 15%. So you're welcome, enjoy. Get your holiday shopping done at driftline.co. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references, so the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition One thing we did not discuss last week, but it was in the show notes is Kelly Slater, KS Wave Co's new pool in Abu Dhabi. Slater took a team of top level riders out there to debut that and to uh, show, showcase it, share it with the world. Do you have any thoughts on this at all?
1: Um, I mean, my thoughts are it's an incredible wave. Kelly's an incredible surfer. Uh It feels a little, I feel a little left out, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it feels a little elitist. Like we flew here on our private jet. We were sipping champagne. We debarked. Uh, We got in, somebody fitted us into our trunks. We surfed, we ate caviar. Afterwards we were towel dried. And then um, we, you know, we ate a local delicacy, you know, kitten paws (laughs) That's not that and we got got on back on the plane and flew to vegas to go backstage with you two at the sphere it all feels really i actually don't i don't want anything to do with any of that although i'll take take the free flight
2: (laughs) it is funny that you say that because that that's exactly what i wrote into my notes too is that the elitism rubs me the wrong way the fact that you used elitism so i don't know if that's kind of a, in the ether and that's how everybody feels about it but it felt so far removed
1: from Anything surfing is, abu dhabi to me like when you say abu dhabi i just go okay that, that's billionaires and that's just me like that's why i went to elitism is because i just think of billionaires but anyway go ahead well
2: it's so far removed from surfing to me, right? And so to the the other rub here is that Kelly Slater's the mascot. And I'm like, dude, you're our guy. And it feels you're feeling more and more foreign and distant to me. And if you are if you are the pioneer of this wave pool arms race, you're not the pioneer. I mean, you are one of the pioneers and you are kind of the the mascot of so much of it. You know, these other wave pools have companies that have success and all that, but they don't have a figurehead like Kelly. Kelly's a figurehead. And so he almost speaks for all of wave pools in a certain sense, as he does for all of surfing. And so when you look at, let's say, skate parks as a comparable, skate parks went a different direction. They did not become elitist, they became free for all, so much so that cities pay for them to be put in parks so that young skaters have access to skate somewhere and so wave pools could have gone that direction under you know
1: certain circumstances I don't think so. just well, because pencil out you just can't build a free like who's nobody's building free wave pools like it just doesn't pencil out like there's energy like a park you pour the concrete you step back, you let the kids invade. Okay, see you in a year. You know what I mean? Like, well, well, there's a lot far, more involved as far as energy and cost.
2: There's, I'm not saying they have to be free. They can be a lot more accessible than $50,000 a day in the center, Central California, or mm-hmm. fly to Abu, D- Abu Dhabi and who knows what that price is. You know what I mean? Like when you look at the youth, youth, skaters who want somewhere to skate when you look at young surfers who want somewhere to surf but they don't live by the coast this is not accessible to all but the one percent and we kind of knew that along the way and you know um acknowledged it even probably on the show a lot but then to kind of see this news story pop up in Abu Dhabi with the background of the buildings and Ferrari City and all that sort of stuff it was just like oh wow this is not i mean this is no longer anywhere in my realm and it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way too i guess
1: yeah it's funny as i sit here and explore it all um i think it's just yeah so it's got an elitist vibe it's got this and it feels like surfing in general has kind of got like um more of like a tech bro billionaire vibe about it right and and i i remember i think it was like 97 or 98 i I went to Colima to surf that beach break there by myself. And the waves were flat. It was in January or whatever. There wasn't any swell. And I could I looked and I could see that there was some waves up at the, you know, about a mile away at the next little town. I could see some waves breaking up there. So I grabbed some like a couple of biscuits and a thing of water and packed my little backpack and I hiked on the beach about a mile. And sure enough, there were some waves up there. It was facing a direction so that there were some little waves. And I paddled out and it was a little bit wonky and weird and kind of high tideish and blah, blah, blah. But I caught a couple of waves and I got a little head dip and I came out and I eventually I did a cut back and I surfed and I was super stoked. And I'm in this very remote part of mainland Mexico, you know, that it's called uh, Paraiso, which is the town up from Tecoman or from the beach there. And, um, at Pasquales. And, um, and I remember I hiked in and so I went into the town and it's just this there's no surf infrastructure there's no it's not where surfers go to surf that's down south where I was and and it was just raw and and it was mainland Mexico the way I remember mainland Mexico where I literally like walked down the street and a guy goes and I hailed a cab and I he put my board in his thing and I ate a tamale and and I was sweaty and hot and there was bugs around and it wasn't necessarily you know, highbrow and yeah. I took the cab back to my place. And I, and then I stayed right there, you know, in a little concrete room, <laughs> barely had running water. And I'm trying to right now, as we talk about it, excavate. Why do I think that's neat? Like, why is that better than what Kelly's doing? Because what Kelly's doing is pretty cool, but it's not accessible to me. And so I guess I have a little bit of, um, I guess I'm uh, jealous I guess I'm jealous that I'm not going to ever be at that. But I also think there's a lot of charm to what I did. Like there, like to me, that's surfing in mainland Mexico. You know, like that's what mainland Mexico is all about. That's in fact, that's kind of what the Norton Peterson ethos is, you know, and that seems to be gone. Like now it's like jump on a plane, a private plane, fly wherever, get off, you know, have your hair shampooed on the way. Like, you know, you know all those. It's just so highbrow now. I don't know. Yeah. Where am I going with this? Am I I soft? Am I jealous? Am I what's what's going on with me?
2: No, the accessibility is the distasteful part of it. The well, the excess first of all, and the accessibility. So the excess part is building this thing that uh, drains a tremendous amount of resource. I know they're using ocean water in this particular pool, but drains a tremendous amount of resource in a desert for the elite, catered to the elite, when you know there was a different way to build this business model to make it available to the average surfer. It's just distasteful that you couldn't find a business model that would have been more available to the masses, and instead you're catering to this particular segment of the demographic, which already has everything in the world that they could want, and they could be doing yacht trips to the Maldives. and. You know if they wanted to um there's an argument though that people might be listening going scott the fact that you're even on a surf trip in mexico is inaccessible to me you know like that's already fairly elitist um but
1: you know for the rest it's a 300 round trip flight to colima you take a cab to the beach and you sit on the beach and literally like i'm in a concrete i might as well be in a prison like i'm in a dark room with one light and barely mm -hmm. running water it's pretty dismal. But
2: yeah. Well, the difference, okay. the Did, difference too uh, is yours, yours is a story about adventure, not buying your way in. Yeah. So I think that's the
1: big difference too. Um, so yeah, I, I think like there's like a Neil Young litmus test. Like, would Neil Young like write a song about <laughs> this? <laughs> like, and he would, you know, like Neil Young would write a song about this and just be like, this is fucking lame. However, the lyrics would come out, it would be like, Dude, we've jumped the shark. What are, you know, well, what do we, you think about the Neil Young litmus test? Because I can see Neil Young going, Yeah, you know what? A kind of a grindy trip to mainland is the way it's supposed to be. And I don't know. The, the well, Neil the, Young uh, test. I don't think this wave pool passes the Neil Young test. That's awesome. The, the Neil Young song
2: would also incorporate the theme of the problematic nature of this part of the world. The exactly. Yeah, the doing business. So that's the other detail here is like, Kelly, not only catering to the elites, but by the way, not even the elites, because you guys tried to get that Coral Mountain uh, version up and running out in La Quinta, spent a ton of money to do that. And the city council shut you down. And that was for
1: the elites, by the way. And they couldn't even get it. But that was elite versus elites. That's where elites versus elites, that litigation.
2: Well, this, though, is the uber elite. Like, we couldn't even cater this to the elites. We have to go the uber elite who just overlooks all, uh, you know, legitimate environmental concerns, let's say, and is just going to do it. So in this part of the world, there's there's issues with freedom of speech, human rights, women's rights, gays, all of this stuff that it becomes kind of uh, Hippo- hypocritical. Uh, hypocr- hypocr- it's definitely question a um, question mark on the legacy that you want to leave in surfing and on the rest of the world if that's where you're choosing to do business, you
1: know? Well, here's the thing. It could be argued, and I think it's valuable to to consider this, that when Kelly goes over there and becomes a part of that culture, he opens up the door for him to kind of expose them to a more... A centrist leaning or a more progressive viewpoint on a lot of things because they would like look to Kelly. Oh, Kelly, you're the man, and he might go, Hey, you know what? You might consider, you know, like not cutting off a woman's clitoris. You know, like that might be a good thing to think about. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and so, so this idea that we go, Well, Kelly, you shouldn't do that because they're bad people, and of course, I'm I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but my point is is that, and I think you get it right that. At least there's an opportunity for a conversation to now be had. I know that is a counterpoint. As as will he have that conversation?
2: Yeah. Until he starts showing up at, you know, I don't know, political rallies to change some of these things, then I'm not going to make that no argument million for him. for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But well, the, here's
1: the, here's the ultimate test right here. You ready for this? Mm this is a tough one for me. This is a tough one for you. I don't think it's as tough. I don't know. Kelly hears this podcast and says, that's it. I'm inviting David and Scott. You can come on my plane. You're going to spend three days surfing there and experiencing, because I think you guys got it wrong. Would you go David? Uh, I would go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would too. Let me guess why you're going, because I want to see if what I said is actually true. I won't really know until I experience it, which, by the way, is true. Like there's validity in that. It would be it
2: would bolster my journalistic integrity if I went so that I could actually speak with authority on this exact thing, because, yeah, I've not been.
1: But the other thing is what if he says you can't speak about it? You're allowed to go. But anything you say has to be um, parsed through my PR firm, through my people, you know basically you're on a um I'd say, no. I'd say no you'd say no you're yeah. i'm gonna fly out here and surf and you're gonna eat sushi and get your hair cut and blah 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 you know like the whole deal we're gonna get, you know cat kitty paws you're gonna eat the kitty paws will you but you can't say anything you're not going well two things it's a deal you long tube rides for a couple of days
2: no it's i'm not that dope. interested i'm not that interested um I mean, there's two reasons I want to, or that would be deal breakers. Eating of the kitty paws would be me participating in exactly what I have kind of ethical concern about an issue with. The other thing is I'm not investing a ton of money into the region in order to make a ton of money off of. So it'd be different for me just to go and surf the pool and create, you know, a journalistic opinion about it, as opposed to investing money in hopes of earning a bunch of money out of this investment. That is the problem with the KS Wave Co. From my, from my stance. So just surfing it isn't as problematic as doing business there.
1: All right. Well, we'll see. see <laughs> we'll see if he gives us the call. I doubt no, it. I won't be waiting by the phone.
2: Um, in closing, there I mentioned earlier that there's been a couple of sad deaths in the surf industry in this last week. Uh, one of whom surfboard shape, uh, first of all, phenomenal surfer and surfboard shaper, Mark Martinson, the other, a local iconic surf photographer, Mike Moyer, just kind of news just kind of broke yesterday through Instagram. So Mark Martinson, maybe you can speak on more as a, uh, you know, as it relates to surfboard building, but he was a long beach from long beach was where I was born five miles from where I'm sitting right now. Excellent surfer, one of Harbor Surfboard's first-team riders in the 60s. Uh, Surfer Magazine cover boy in 1970. He won the U.S. Champs in 1965, shaped amazing boards through the transition era, and then went back to work for Robert August in the 90s, making high-performance short boards. I'm sorry, high-performance long boards, but an icon in the industry and beloved by all, it seems. Just like salt of the earth, nicest dude ever, and um, will be missed.
1: Well, um, you may or may not know this, but we interviewed Mark Martinson for our documentary film about surfers and the Vietnam War, because Mark was a guy who evaded the draft. He he said, screw you, and was on the run in in Hawaii um, from the FBI, from the federal government because of his stance. He's just like, I'm not going to go over there and kill people. And um, so I got to sit with him in an intimate setting at his house right there. I want to say it was like Rocky point or near there somewhere in that little stretch there. And he had a cool little pad and he was a sweet guy, very likable guy, super fun to talk to very outgoing. And, um, and just a, you know, the one thing that I've read recently about him is his smile. And I think that's the thing that comes across most for me. was that he just had a big gargantuan smile and his smile reflected in his eyes. And, you know, like, it was one of those guys that he smiled with his eyeballs, which is a pretty cool thing. And um, and he was a great guy. And so I don't have much thoughts about him as a surfboard shaper as I do. Just I got to spend time with him and it was a, a lot of fun. And he was very open and, and a giving soul. Fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. The, and then Mike uh... Mo- Moyer, of course, came into Surfer Magazine all the time when we were working there. Um, you know, the 10 years that I spent there Moira would roll in all the time and just, you know, the photo department would jump up and we he'd throw his stuff down on the slide tray and we would look at it all. And And he was just always a super cool guy. I remember when I was new there, he made sure that, you know, that I knew who he was and that I, I was he was just very there wasn't any um, ego with Mike. He was super just one of the guys, really good guy. Yeah. Mike Moyers
2: from Newport beach. So right in my neck of the woods as well. And I'd see his name in the magazines from the earliest of days when I was first kind of discovering surfing and um, really, I mean, the reality is every pro surfer in the world comes through Southern California at least once a year, or certainly they did up until, you know, the last five or 10 years And the industry is kind of split apart, but so much of the surf industry was based here in the U S open every summer and all that stuff. So everybody from Australia through Central America and everywhere in the world would come through Southern California. And Moyer was a mainstay. He was at the beach every day, always knew where it was good, when it was good. And so I went from seeing his name in the magazines to seeing him at the beach all the time, whenever it was good. And you knew if he was there, that's where it was good, you know? And so you, his, um, his archive of photos covers like 80s, 90s, 2000s of the best waves in Southern, in Newport and Huntington Beach, kind of throughout a bunch of important eras of surfing, documenting it all. So he's iconic.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's many images that we've all seen that we know were mics or if we didn't know they were mics. We're like, wow, that's insane. And the one cover shot, Surfer Magazine of Danny Kwok, sort of doing like a layback, almost it looks real Clay Marzo-esque. He's in that red, white, and blue full suit. He's going right. And Danny Kwok's doing this crazy kind of inverted layback. And I was looking at it this in weekend. In the tube. In the tube. Yeah. And I looking at that photo and I was going, God, that looks like something Clay Marzo would be doing now. Like, you know, like that was pretty crazy as far as the twerking of the body.
2: And yeah, of it's, course, a, it's a body matter. or it's a water shot. Moyer in the water in Newport Beach. And
1: yeah, Quack layback backside barrel probably I want to say I don't know I'm going to say 1979 surfer magazine cover 1980 something like that yeah, yeah. killer
2: stuff well mike moyer will be missed um one of the details that you were talking about with martinson dodging the draft this is totally tangential but i was listening to a podcast that i love it's called this is actually happening and It's long-form storytelling, but there's no interview questions. uh, Those are edited out. It's just somebody telling their story. And it's about, it always is centered around like some pivotal event in their life. So they'll usually go further back into their childhood and like kind of give you the background on their life. But, you know, one episode that I remember really well was about a guy being hunted by the Yakuza in Japan. Like he's an Americaner and he met a woman on a train. They exchanged pleasantries and even a phone number, but like it was left at that. Apparently she was married to a high level member of the Yakuza and he found her business card or he found this guy's business card in his wife's clothing and presumed that there was an affair. And so it's this guy talking his way through. Sometimes uh, it's a phenomenal episode, but there's other episodes that might just be about, um, Uh, somebody losing a child, you know, and it covers a wide range of everything. And it's not always sad either. But anyways, last night I was listening to an episode where a guy was talking about um, going to war in Iraq after 9-11. He was like uh, on a tank as a gunner and he was 22 years old at the time. And the episode is entitled, what if you were just a cog in the machine? And so it's about year 22. I don't know if I said he's 22 years old. You know how you are when you're 22. And if you're like strong and fit and all that, like just amped up on testosterone, right? And then you wake up in the morning and our nation has been bombed by terrorists. And the leaders say, we're going to get them. And you just go, mother effers, here we come. You know, and it's him now with 20 plus years of hindsight processing through like, we were in Iraq and the, the missive was go north. And it wasn't go to this city and you know um fortify and it the weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> it was just go north. That was it. There was no directive. And he goes, even at that time, I was like, God, this seems awfully like like there's no plan in place, you know, but I'm just doing what I'm told to do. And so then, of course, he goes into you know, what transpired in the years to come and the decades to come, which is Dick Cheney wanted to make a bunch of money with Halliburton, basically. And my friends died. And we watched them continuously lie to the people over, and they lied to us. We literally forget about, I mean, yes, my friends died. The atrocities that I saw when we'd show up, or that when I would show up into a town people getting killed, maimed, children being killed, murdered, all of this destruction and violence for complete bald-faced lies to us and the American people, all for money. It was like, it's pretty radical to hear the guy tell the story, somebody who didn't dodge, but actually went through and became the cog in the wheel, in the machine. It's fascinating to hear one person's experience And with, again, the benefit of hindsight of being able to see all the evidence of why things were actually done compared to what you were told, crazy town.
1: That sounds amazing. Did you see the movie, Cheney, that featured that great actor? What's that guy's name? Christian
2: Bale. It's called Vice.
1: Vice? Wow, that was a good movie, man. Really, really good. That's an amazing story. And what's the name of this podcast again? Will you send it to me via text? I will. It's called One you sent me, is it? no it's totally different totally different theme and everything
2: it's um it's called this is actually happening
1: right I'm gonna check that out so on the same sort of veterans vibe that we have going here because it was Veterans Day last weekend I began watching Band of Brothers I've never seen Band of Brothers on HBO pretty incredible and there's a scene in it you may recall where one of the guys goes hey man we're just moving the ball forward like we're, all we're doing is moving the football forward a couple of yards each day. Like, you know, because one of the privates was like, "What is this all about?" He's like, "None of your business. <laughs> we're just moving the ball forward." Yeah. And um, well, anyway, but at least in Band of Brothers, I mean, there was definitely we had a clear cut purpose. You know, in yeah. World War II. and um, yeah, that's horrible. What I can't wait to listen to this this great podcast that you've discovered.
2: It's way better than I gave it credit for. And it goes way beyond what I just gave it credit for. Um, But Speaking of Band of Brothers, Spielberg and that whole team is making a new version about um, Air Force. I don't know which war or what the mission was that the series is going to be centered around, but it's very much based off Band of Brothers kind of um, template,
1: just Mm -hmm. incorporating the Air Force. That's cool. I can't wait to see that. I'm actually a, a, the son of an Air Force officer, so I'm going to be involved in that for sure. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Okay, well, look, by the way, I did watch the Taro Watanabe oh, thing. Oh gosh, the greatest surfing you've ever seen! Is that what you, you wrote the greatest shortboarding you've seen in a long time, or something like that. You sent me a text, and it was the YouTube clip of Taro surfing. And they kind of take him back to LA, and then they send him. Then he's in J Bay, and then he goes to Indo, and then and it's pretty incredible. And he is a, got a great style, you know. And I'll tell you, I immediately was watching him the first couple clips of him at Jay Bay, and I go, that reminds me of Macaulay Jones. He's got a little Macaulay Jones style. Now he's got incredible style. This guy is he's from Los Angeles, isn't he? Yeah, the Japanese fella. <laughs> yeah,
2: is that what I call him? <laughs> that's what you call him in a list i apologize
1: when you have a name taro watanabe it's not too much of a stretch to think that perhaps he's from japan
2: he is a japanese fella he's just from malibu but his parents are japanese um so you're not wrong but uh yeah his uh back and forth is the name of the film it's by quinn graham and he's a phenomenal surfer and what i was pointing out was this is the best most interesting shortboard surfing that i've seen in a long time and it's we see Mikey February, let's say, surf with a tremendous amount of style, but he's he's riding, you know, not always pointy thrusters. We see Torn Martin surfing in a uh, unique style. He's definitely not riding pointy thrusters. Taro's riding the most high-performance, chippy uh, boards that allow you to get into the most critical sections of a wave, but inventively surfing them. You know, like taking really interesting lines, doing really interesting things, um, I watched that J Bay section and I thought to myself how limiting competitive surfing is, because if I watched his best wave from that section and compared it with Felipe Toledo's best wave that he surfed this last year in the CT, I don't know how I could judge the two against each other, but I do know that Taro would lose. <laughs> and then he would have to amend his surfing to Dumb try down. to meet the judge's criteria. And yeah. that
1: would be a loss for us. Dumbing down his surfing. You know what when you said that, you know what came up in my head was the wave of Steph Gilmore at um in Indo that she won the event on. What what what's that wave called again? That little right-hander Karamas. Karamas. Her wave at Karamas, where she does like this incredible, like tail tapping stall and basically stops. That's the kind of really bitch surfing that that came to my mind when you when we talk about taro. Um just Stuff that you don't see when a jersey's on.
2: Yeah, it it really is uh, refreshing to watch. Totally creative. Again, his style's insane. His fundamentals are so sound that he can put himself in whatever position he wants to. Uh, and the choices that he makes are just outside of the box of convention. So I'm a huge fan. It also reminds me that having a singular identifiable name, Taro, is 90% of what's required to cement your legacy in the surf world. Duke. Right. Duke. Laird. Laird. Gidget. Gidget. Kelly. Kelly. Steph. Sonny. Sonny. Andy.
0: Andy.
2: Even modern age, you think, Jordy. Kaloe. Italo. Gabe. Felipe. Levi. Levi. Yeah, I mean, really, a awesome. sing-
1: that guy rips.
2: <laughs> he does absolutely rip. But you know what I mean. If your name's Chris, yeah, you're screwed. You're, you're screwed. David. David. My, David. There's Chris. there's been a ton of David surfers. You don't remember yeah. one of their names. Yeah. I mean, like famous professional David surfers. You don't remember one of their names because it's David. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. What if your name's Chris Davidson? You're really screwed. <laughs>
2: exactly. Taro, <laughs> on the other hand,
1: how Aura. do you forget it? I know. Like, let's eat some sushi. All um, right. Well, by the way, Washington you said are beyond what, before and after beyond Darren back. What's it called? Before and after before and after good you flip.
2: Said, you said McCullough Jones at J Bay. I was thinking.
1: And then when he got a to a little bit, just a little bit of McCullough, I saw just a tiny bit of McCullough. I'm not saying <laughs> that's how he serves.
2: But then he got to uh, El Porto, the L.A. stuff, and he's doing those big blowout laybacks. Yeah. i was like that looks like greg browning at el porto
1: greg browning's kind of like chris davidson By the no way, sorry way. For greg i know greg's going through some als issues and it's sad hopefully that, that's a horrible thing but anyway um you know i don't think you're like taro's a little bit better than greg Browning.
2: okay greg Browning's style he had insane style and he would do those exact laybacks go watch taylor Steele's good times from 1996 and greg browning is laying back exactly like that taro pulled it right
1: out of the greg browning cookbook oh my god you know what uh, to my own uh detriment i don't think i've ever seen a taylor Steele movie all the way <laughs> through i'm sure i've seen momentum but i mean i was out of it during taylor Steele's time i was mentally unavailable fair so enough. i missed it all i missed it it's like i missed the music from that era too
2: fair enough you missed punk um yeah. well Let's give a quick shout out to the only petroleum free surf wax that we, that we know of that um, we're using exclusively. It's Treeswax. You can get it at treeswax.com or you can buy it at retailers up and down the West Coast. There's a couple on the East Coast too, but Surfboards by Kennedy in Woodland Hills, Amp Surf in Shell Beach, and then Maverick Surf Shop, beloved Maverick Surf Shop up in Norco.
1: Yeah, super sticky, tacky, performance oriented surfing wax that's good for the planet and uh, it makes a ton of sense
2: yeah big fans trees wax thank you very
1: much all right well look david we've said a lot we've covered a lot of stuff here and uh, until next time adios and aloha
2: Don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com/surf. That's linkedin.com/surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.